Hey, hey, welcome to the Wildcast. I had the opportunity today to sit down in person with Dumisani Washington. Uh, Dumisani, if you remember, was my guest on this podcast uh, just a couple of weeks ago, but it was such a, a powerful and important conversation. I asked if he could come in in person, um, and he schlepped in here to New York City, and we sat down to talk about anti-Semitism coming from the left. You know, anti-Semitism, the Kanye West anti-Semitism gets called out and everybody feels great and righteous calling out right-wing anti-Semitism, white supremacy. Nobody has a problem with that. But when Israel gets bashed, and I don't mean just, you know, criticized, but like called an apartheid Nazi government, Nazi state, it gets a pass. And what can we do about exposing the anti-Semitism coming from the left? Because it's a serious, serious issue. And to what degree is this anti-Semitism from the left found its way into the current Biden administration. I'm not trying to, I really tried very hard. I'm a rabbi, stay away from politics, but I am concerned that Jews are being attacked, not simply because of white supremacists, but because there's this anti-Israel rhetoric, very, very vibrant on college campus, BDS, calling it Israel an apartheid state. And I thought it'd be interesting to sit down with Dumisani because he just came back from South Africa. His actually daughter-in-law is from South Africa, and um, her father is a member of parliament there who's a very big supporter of Israel. And Israel constantly gets analogized or compared to an apartheid South African state. And it's ironic. Someone who actually spends time in South Africa can, I think, weigh in on this. He's just a very, very smart, astute, observant, I, I would say, person. And, and of course, Dumusani is a preacher and started the organization called IBSI, which is um, the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. He wrote a great book called Zionism and the Black Church. So take a listen. Let's get some insights also how we can strengthen our connection with the black community, because in the days of Martin Luther King, of Dr. King and Rabbi Abraham Heschel, there were great connections in the civil rights days. Things have drifted a bit. How can we get things back together? Take a listen. So welcome, Masani. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you in person. Thanks, Rabbi. Thanks. We, uh, we had a great conversation online. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Uh, it just it, it evoked a tremendous response mm. in our listeners okay. and in other people who've never heard of us. Mm. Uh, mm. I think a lot of your followers, we did some joint collaborative uh, yes, sir. posts. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And lots of people came on. So I really appreciate you coming in person. Sure. So we can actually have this conversation face to face. I'm glad to be here. With you. Um, so let me start right in. Um, I don't read a lot of people's tweets, but I read yours. Okay. okay? And you recently tweeted the following. Okay. And maybe you can um, unpack this for us a little because it's, sure. it's loaded. Sure, sure. You said, and I quote, for years, we at the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel um, have warned about the radical black Hebrew Israelites. Mm -hmm. Okay. And BLM, mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, and mm -hmm. Farrakhan. Mm -hmm who have impacted a younger generation, all these groups. Mm -hmm. uh, we were dismissed as right-wingers by all the smart people. We're nowhere near, we're nowhere close to the worst part. Mm -hmm. And the same smart people are woefully unprepared for what's coming. Yes. Rest assured, the smart people have learned absolutely nothing. They will lament the rise in Jewish hatred, mm -hmm. then double down on the very woke idiocy that is the number one driver all this while defending everything progressive, mm -hmm. like the religion that it is. Okay. So tell us a little, these are very strong words. Yes, Number sir. one, yes, who sir. are these smart people? Yes, sir. Who, um, or how is the wokeness of, you know, how is wokeness the number one driver yes, of left-wing anti-Semitism? Yes, Can you expand on all this? Sure. So the smart people is a generic term, obviously. And what we mean by that is for those who are, and I'll come back to the ide ideology, pushing this ideology, while at the same time, and this is not Jewish or non-Jewish, this is both, right? This, this is not a, an ethnic discussion. This is actually more of a political discussion, mm -hmm. right? Smart people then, for example, as I said in the tweet, are, for example, lamenting uh, the rise in Jewish, Jewish hatred, but at the same time pushing ideology. I'll give you an example, right? Um, not on that tweet, but later on, 
um, and I, I have to name this name, Mark Lamont Hill was a former commentator with CNN and with Huffington Post Live. He is a professor at Temple University, a uh, younger black uh, commentator who's pretty well known in some black circles, right? And, and beyond, a lot of followers on Twitter and everything. Give me a quick example. He's been, he's consistently anti-Israel, right? And what I mean by that, he, along with other leaders of the Black Lives Matter, are calling for the literal, I quote, dismantling of the Zionist entity. This, the words that are similar to what the Ayatollah would tweet, that, okay, that's not even subtle. That's not oh, a criticism of Israel, right? And this is not just one, this is multiple, right? He is criticizing Kanye West for his embracing of Nazism, that whole thing, right? Which absolutely condemn. So I had to tweet quote him and go, oh, is this you, right? So we can condemn the anti-Semitism coming from Kanye and we need to, but we can call for the destruction of the Jewish state and somehow that's okay. That's the woke idiocy that mm -hmm. I'm talking about. For him, and he comes from a whole school that see that not only is Zionism and anti-Zionism racism, not only is that true, or, or, or anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, but have no problem with not just criticizing Rabbi Wild's home, his, his the Jewish homeland, if I will. They'll, they'll stand with Rabbi Wilds and say, we stand against anti-Semitism. And at the same time, call for the destruction from the river the to the sea right? and see no conflict in that whatsoever. Right. Hence, critical race. Theory. Because because yes. because he's so convinced that Israel and its policies against the Palestinians yes. are, are so, you know, uh, what? Like, so egregious that it needs to be dismantled. If you're going to call mm -hmm. it an apartheid state or call for its dismantling, right? And not just him, the former head of BLM, uh, Patrice Cullors, same thing. The Zionist project needs to end. These are euphemisms for destroy the Jewish state. And when I point that out to you and you still continue to say it from the river to the sea, that means either you're that ignorant or you're that malicious. Either way, it's dangerous, right? Because what are you doing? You're saying, as I say to people oftentimes, it's like saying, I have no problem with Japanese people, but the state of Japan needs to be dismantled, right? And people chuckle when they hear that because it sounds completely ludicrous when you apply it to any other country. But Israel, somehow, that's okay. That's right. some sort of intellectual exercise. This is what I meant in that tweet. And I know it's more to unpack, but that's the first part. So the, the smart people would be, be uh, somewhat symbolized, not just him, but that's what I'm talking about. So he's very in a very virtue signaling way. Yeah, let me mm -hmm. condemn Conway and Kanye. And we've been seeing this, right, in social media. There are people who could be considered far left or whatever. And again, on the right, you have other people who are agreeing with Kanye. The Jews are X, Y, and Z. So I don't need to tell you, Rabbi, left so, and right. So how, how could he, how could this gentleman be exposed for the true anti-Semite that he is, as opposed to someone simply critical of Israel's policies? Well, here's the problem that we have, Rabbi. Number one, someone like Mark Lamont Hill, and again, I'm not just picking on him. I could name others, right? right. First of all, he doesn't see it, whether he chooses not to see it or doesn't or, or just can't see it. He doesn't see that as anti-Semitism. Calling for the destruction of Israel, as far as he's concerned, is just as right as calling for the, the dismantling of apartheid in South Africa, right? He, it's, there's no, it's the same thing. He, for him, it's a matter of justice. For you and me, we recognize that that's not the case. He's actually calling for the destruction of a homeland, which would not be acceptable. But that's not the problem. He's part of an entire group of people who think just like him, including professors on these campuses, including things like critical ethnic studies, which is the ethnic studies curriculum that came out of California, made law in 2020 that calls Israel an apartheid state, says that Israel's committing genocide. See, these things are what the kind of things that Kanye is saying that anti-Semitism professors are saying in schools across the country and not just in universities. This curriculum is now also being unpacked in eight through 12 in terms of both middle school and high school. This is what's more acceptable. And I say acceptable in air quotes, right? Because I can have some sort of intellectual <clears throat> conversation about ending the Jewish state at the same time in my whole self-righteousness condemn anti-Semitism. Anti it's unbelievable. That's where we are in this country. That's where and, we are in the and, West. And and that's what, the what, what is your advice? I mean, you're out there. Yes, sir. What is your advice to trying to sort of expose the left-wing anti-Semites for who they truly are. And, and in answering that, Rabbi, let me say again, for those listening, that does not dismiss that it's not on the right as well, right? Kanye... Of course, but yeah. you know, I'm not... You know, the reason I asked you to come here... Yes, sir, yes, sir. ...is because I, you know, Jews don't have a problem and lots of non-Jews don't have a problem. Right. 
especially in liberal, <clears throat> you know, urban settings like New York. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In calling out right wing anti-Semitism, right. right white supremacy. Yes, sir. That's politically yes, sir. correct. Right. Yes, sir. What's yes, sir. not politically incorrect, right, what's right. okay, right. Right, right, right. is right. to bash Israel. Yes, sir. And I want to make it clear for anyone who's listening to this that right. I don't think Israel is perfect. And Israel is a democracy and right. accepts critique from right. its own people. Right. 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 It's probably one of the most internally criticized countries in the world. Right, right, right. You know, right. the six million, seven million uh, prime ministers who live there, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yes, sir. Yes. But um, there's a big difference between you know, being critical of a government's policies and calling for its destruction. Yes, yes. Rabbi, you and I and anyone in a discussion, a real discussion, could be very critical. For example, I hate to use and use this example of what Iran is doing to its people right now. But do we know any people who are intellectually honest calling for the destruction of Iran? Right. No, right? You know, the Ayatollahs are doing these things. And right. I, I don't want to use the same brand. Which, by the way, gonna... might be justified. I mean, right. Not the people. But right, the exactly. Right. I mean, you have oppressive governments, which Israel is not. Right. It, 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 it's sponsoring it's, terrorism all around the world, which Israel is not. Yes, exactly. All of those things. That's why I want to, I often don't use that analogy just because I don't even want to put Israel in that same sentence. But my my point simply is no honest person, no intellectually honest, morally clear person is sitting there actually talking about dismantling another state. Right. Let's destroy Kenya. Let's dismantle Ghana. Let, who does that, right? But Israel, Dr. King pointed this out in the 60s. He connected anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Anti yeah. So it was true then, it's true now, right? The problem is that it's been, when we talk about on the left, now we're talking about in academia, we're talking about oftentimes in the media, right. there, there'll, there'll be headlines about, how many times have we seen this happen in the just the regular media hundreds of rockets from hamas islamic jihad israel finally has some sort of operation and that's where Response. the reporting starts right of course. today israel marched right. in the gaza blah blah, blah 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 right that is a form of anti-zionism in the sense that you are not even honestly portraying as a journalist don't tell the people and start the story with israel had well, to go it's, into gaza. it's the same thing when when the six day war gets reported. Yes, sir. It's always the Arab Israel war. Yes. Which resulted in the displacement of Palestinians. Yes, sir. Now, all of that's true. It yes, was sir. a war from, from Israel against Arabs and there were Palestinians displaced. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But what it obscures yes, sir. is who attacked who. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know? And I submit to you, Rabbi, that the reason why, one of the reasons why that disparity is so easily transferred, communicated, is because of anti-Semitism, right? If I'm talking about a war between two countries or some sort yeah. of conflict, that's one thing. But if one of those countries is the homeland of the Jewish people, now all of my Jewish bias, my anti-Semitism gets projected onto the land. Clearly it's an apartheid state because fill in the right. blank with Jews. Clearly they're committing genocide, fill in the blank. So that's part of what we are dealing with now. And because it has been so accepted on the left for such a long period of time, people like Mark Lamont Hill have no problem right. condemning anti-Semitism and then calling for the destruction yeah. of Israel. And it has, it is now just routine. Now this is part of what we're dealing with. And I was sharing with people, when I would talk about it, so every once in a while I get a pushback. Are you saying what Kanye is saying is not important? So no. See, this is right. here. Here's where we have to be somewhat ambidextrous, right? And you can do both at the same time, <laughs> right? Uh -huh. Kanye, Nazis, bad, all that bad. At the same time, are we still willing, with the same vehemence, right. to say what's going on on our campuses is wrong? What's going on, Rabbi? You've seen the stats. More and more Jewish students and pro-Israel students feeling unsafe on certain camp, not all the campuses, but many campuses, right? This is happening more and more and more. Why is it happening, right? What, it's, it's for those who say that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, why is it that Israel's being vilified on campuses and Jewish students are feeling less safe? Right, and, and I'll add to that, um, the last couple of attacks on Jews that took place here in New York City yes, sir. came after the, um, the Israeli incursion into the Gaza Strip yes, after Hamas launched another rocket attack. Yes, sir. Yes, and people will say, well, what does it have to do with anti, you know, anti-Semitism in, right. in America? What ended up happening was that there were pro-Palestinian groups and other groups right. that were attacking Jews yes, on sir. the streets of New York City because yes, they, that's their view of what Israel's doing 6,000 miles away. Yes, so sir. for people to say this doesn't have real... I think one of the reasons people get more exercised about 
right-wing anti-Semitism. They think right. that's dangerous. Left-wing anti-Semitism right. is a lot of rhetoric. Right, right. It's a lot of, um, you know, smart people. Right, right. You know, just right. making comments. They yes, don't sir. realize it, it actually people get hurt because yes. of this. Yes. And yes. That's the first thing I wanted to mention. The other thing I wanted to ask you actually was you just came back from South Africa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You have family from South Africa? Is that where your family's originally from? So my, that's not originally from. So my son is married to a South African national. She lives here in the States now, of course. Um, And we've met them in Israel advocacy, right? The whole, you know, uh, here we are doing work here with the black community where Israel's concerned. And my daughter-in-law's father is Reverend Kenneth Mishwe. He is a parliament member in South Africa. He started a pro-Israel organization the same year that we started our 2000. So a member of parliament yes, in sir. South Africa yes, started a pro-Israel yes, sir. organization. The irony of ironies yes, sir. Right. for Israel to continue to be compared right. to an apartheid state, to right. a South African apartheid right. state. Yeah. When yeah. there's a current member of parliament, yes, sir. Oh, yeah. your in-law. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We yes, say sir. in Yiddish, machatanista. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I have I to learn it. I'll learn that word. I'll learn. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, great yeah. word. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your machatanista is a um, a member of parliament. Yes, sir. Who is pro-Israel? Yes, sir. Absolutely. What does it feel like when you hear people comparing yeah. Israel to South Africans in terms of it being an apartheid right. state? When your in-law is a member of parliament? Yes, sir. In South Africa today, who's pro-Israel? Well, even more importantly than my response, both Reverend Mashwe, his his daughter, Olga, who's now my daughter-in-law, they have led the charge. But I I want everyone to really understand the African National Congress, which is the ruling party. There has a parliamentary system like Israel does, right? Many different parties. It's the ruling party. Very anti-Israel. Has been for quite a while. Mm. Refuses to place an embassy in Israel. Israel. Uh, We went to the the... Israeli ambassador's home while we were in South Africa because he doesn't have an embassy. You have to go to his house because they refuse to allow the Israeli embassy to be there. Right? But there so is an ambassador. There is an ambassador okay. there, absolutely. The relationship between the Jewish people, both the Jewish community in South Africa, and then when it comes to Israel and its relationship with South Africans is phenomenal. The problem is that the ruling party Mm-hmm. gives the impression because they're the ruling party that they are speaking for the whole of black South Africans and they are not. So Reverend Mishwe is not an outlier. He he actually, his organization is unique, right? But in, in terms of it being a black South African pro-Israel organization that's doing right. amazing work, but his, the voices that are there, whether they're members of his organization or other black South Africans, you don't have a groundswell of black. I have to tell this story, Rabbi, in conjunction to what we're talking about with South Africa, right? Um, and I've been telling this story since we came back. So we just got back. What's today's the 21st, 2nd or something. December. We just got back on the 16th. Right? We were there for 10 days. Now, we, meaning the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, we just launched our PEACE initiative, which stands for Plan for Education, Advocacy and Community Engagement. We took, it's about 20 of us in all, but we all went together, uh, some of our staff and what we call our Ipsy ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And we are doing, we call uh, December is the motherland, June is the holy land. Right. So we just did our South Africa trip. And then June motherland is South Africa, South Africa or Africa in general. This was South Africa. When Mm -hmm. we do our peace initiative, it will always include one African nation and then we'll go to Israel. African nations around in December, Israel around in June. But we started with South Africa for some of the obvious reasons, the whole apartheid narrative, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. So quick story. We are traveling the country. We wind up, we go to the Cape in the last few days, moving like that. And the the itinerary has been set by my daughter-in-law. Who, Olga Mishwe, Washington, yeah? mm-hmm. uh, who had close ties with the Jewish community. Again, they have this poison organization, so they work very closely with the Jewish community. And so we are traveling in different areas, seeing things that unless you knew, if you just got the dime kind of, you know, tour, it's out there, you wouldn't know any of these places existed, right? And you wouldn't be able to fully appreciate what's going on. We go to a school, Rabbi. It's one of the most economically depressed parts of, of, of Johannesburg, right? A lot of poverty, right? A lot of malnourished kids, right? We get to the site where the school is there, and the schools are in these these containers that you get. You get the shipping containers. Have to the classrooms are there, right? They're different parts. There's also a little section there where they begin to do some farming and, and, and raise some food because it's the only nutritious food that these kids and their families get. When they go to school. Yes, sir. It's, of course, Israeli drip irrigation is there in yeah. the garden, yeah. right? The leader of the school is an Orthodox rabbi. 
as well as some other black South Africans who are within the headmasters, a young lady that can't remember really? her name right now, a 100% matriculation rate, over 5,000 students from first through the eighth, 12th grade. These kids are phenomenal. What's going on there is just an amazing, it's one example. Right. And it's, he, is it integrated school or is mostly black? It's all black South Africans. Right. It's again, very, very poor part of the uh, black South African area where it is. Right. And it services this community, which is one reason why they grow the food, because for both for the kids and for their families. Right there. And they don't get any government help. The government's in a lot of turmoil right now. And there's just a whole different discussion. We can unpack that if you'd like to. Right. So he shows us around. We are just blown away. Now, I've known a little bit about it, and I've met this rabbi before as well, right? But I've never been on this site. And this is a joint venture between Reverend Mishwe's praise organization and the Jewish community. Not just these kids in the school, 5,000 kids, mind you, right? Wow. But the Jewish community has now pooled resources and also helping these kids in other areas. They're actually donating to this event. So, so this thing is happening. This is not just the only thing, but I'm giving you this one example, right? I'm going back to the apartheid. Thing. I had no idea. Right. This is why we took our... our I mean, I have friends who live in South Africa. Yes, sir. I have students yes, sir. who live in Johannesburg and Cape Town. Yes, sir. But um, they seem to be living a very, very separate kind of life. This is, this is interesting. There's a lot of... There's a lot of strata there right there's a, there's a lot of division that's actually there not even i'm not even attribute that to the people this just it's one of the things that one of the themes for our trip that was a rabbi it was a complex right this is a complex situation it's like israeli politics right you, you explain to somebody who's not from israel you're going here this party that party they, they don't know it's not a democrat republican thing right there's a lot of complexity that's there which is what we're teaching our leaders real leaders do the work right anybody can hashtag you're making free free palestine but do you really understand what you're saying right or, or did you just get that from some of the social media posts do you understand for example what is the plight of the palestinians in gaza who is Hamas, right? Who, so are you just blaming things on the Jews because that's what you heard, right? So the same way, do we really understand that when they're using that apartheid slander, what's really happening? I can tell many stories about this, just this one, and I'll be done, I promise. Mm -hmm. At the end of our tour, one of our ambassadors asked the rabbi, can we post a picture about this or anything? He just wanted, for some reason, he's kind of just checking, right? And I know some of what's going, again, I've been to South Africa before, he blew me away. The rabbi says to them, you can post a picture, but don't tag the location, please. Because if BDS South Africa finds out about it, they'll come and burn this place to the ground. Physically burn. Burn the place, his words, not my words. They will burn this place to the ground. They sat there in stunned silence because they're still learning these things. Well, I'm a veteran with this, this BDS this, thing, but I didn't, I, Rabbi, I was like, is that because wow. it just completely conflicts with their narrative? Yes. Hear you out, Rabbi, for those who say again that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, there's no Israeli flags. As a matter of fact, there's nothing to script there. You would drive right by it, right? They don't have any marquees, no signs. They can't do what you and I would do in America. We had something that we want people to see. Yeah, you let the whole world know. Absolutely. They can't. I mean, I remember when Oprah did something in South Africa. Yes, and she fun. put it on her show and yeah. everything like that. But if yeah. it was in any way connected to Israel, she would have done it. Here, it is. this is not even about Israel. He's a Jewish rabbi. <laughs> that was enough. And if BDS, his words, found out about it, and I'm going, wait a minute. If it has, if anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, right? I mean, what does that show? And now that these kids are black South Africans, they would destroy the whole thing because a <laughs> right. Jewish man right. is helping. That's an example that I give of that. So we, I, I had to tell that story. And I wanted everybody to hear that story. I, I, As a matter of fact, I'll give you the link to that school. I won't say it now. So if your listeners that want to follow, they want to know right. more about it and everything like that i'll send, send that link to you what t tell me this um what, what do you think of the biden's uh the biden administration's approach to israel um or i mean it, it's been quiet yes, sir. you know i haven't um do you feel that the current administration is influenced by this kind of ideology um you think it's going to change in the next election <clears throat> how do you feel about What's going on from the United States? And, and keeping with my consistency and be as honest as I can, I think that this administration um, is woefully um, led by this woke ideology when it comes to Israel. It's my opinion. Right? What I mean by that is three main Because, things. you know, Biden himself. Yes, sir. As a, you know, the one positive thing yes, in sir. terms of Israel that we had Biden is we had years and years of experience. Yes, sir. And he seemed to be cons pretty consistently. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Supportive. That has been his track Israel. He's yes, like sir. an old-time Democrat. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Who, when I grew up, Democrats were very supportive of Israel. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. But do you think that things have changed or he's... 
I think that for whatever reason, I can't speak to him specifically where Israel is concerned. I believe that that leftist woke ideology thing that you and I talk about, and I'll prove it when I talk about it in a minute, is more and more infiltrating the Democrat Party when it comes to this standard. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. And I get people, people get angry when I say it. I don't do it to be provocative. I just try to be honest, right? Three areas. Number one, Taylor Force Act passed in 2018. The Biden administration is knowingly funding Palestinian terror. I say that because it's just true. We have all the receipts. Mahmoud Abbas has said it blatantly. We are not going to stop paying martyrs. What does that mean? We're going to pay people to kill Zionists, right? If you know and, that- and, and the Biden administration is still funneling money into the PA. Continuing to be ignoring what's actually being said. And they've actually, they put, when I say this, you have a couple of lawsuits that have already been filed. And it's so funny when I mention that to people. They, well, the people who filed are right-wingers. Yeah, they, they're on the right, but- that doesn't disavow. In other words, I guess the AC, the J Seculo is one of the, the law firms that's that's actually mm -hmm. they're fighting. It's a, with that Freedom of Information Act. They want all the receipts about why the administration. Maybe just tell everybody because not everyone the, the yes, Taylor sir. Force Act for those listening. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Taylor uh, Force was. We actually had his parents. Wow. Taylor Force's parents um, were honored at our dinner mm. a number of years ago. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Their son was killed in a terrorist. Um, I think he was uh, a stabbing. I believe it was. Yeah, he was killed, but he was also a member of the Air Force. He was in the Marines, I believe. I believe it. I think so. Um, yeah. But he was like third generation Air Force. Yes, sir. And, Long history. Um, yes, sir. In Tel Aviv. Yeah, and his parents found out. Yes, not a Jewish person, but he was, I think, in Vanderbilt University I studying so. there. Yeah. His parents found out that the killer, that yes, their sir. son's killer. Yes, sir was getting a significant amount of money from the Palestinian Authority, which is funded by the European Union, the United States. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Uh, some people I know, um, uh, my good friend uh, Sander Gerber, who's very, mm -hmm. very involved, uh, were, was able to get the Taylor Force Act, yes, sir. Yes, sir. which basically prevents um, the United States government from funding, you know, or removing that amount of money. Yes, sir. From yes, that would go to the PA that's currently being used right. to pay yes, sir. terrorists yes, sir. to incentivize them to do this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what were you saying about the Taylor Force Act? You I was saying that it was passed in 2018, I believe it was, and it then, as you rightly said, prohibits the U.S. government from then providing Palestinian Authority with money that it knowingly that it knows is going to be used in the in the furtherance of terrorism. Uh, it resumed funding, right? Because uh, there was a time where they were enforcing it. Yes, absolutely. This was happening. That the, was during the Trump it, administration. It was passed during the Trump administration, right? And then with the onset of the Biden administration, both funding the PA, but also funding UNRWA, which wasn't part of the Taylor Force Act, mm -hmm. but United Nations Relief Works Agency for the Palestinian refugees, right? Which those who know the history of it continually is connected with Hamas and it's terrorism activity in, in Gaza. So the Biden administration resumes funding both of those areas, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Which is why what feels like to some of my Israeli friends, almost like third intifada, this wave happens, not coincidentally, wow. as the money is flowing, right? That's one example that I would point to and say, whatever Joe Biden's personal feelings are, that's I'm not getting into that part. What I'm saying is that this gets flow. One of the criticisms about the Trump administration when it came to something like the Taylor Force Act was his lack of concern for the Palestinian refugees or the Palestinians as a people. Again, I'm not going to get into comments about Trump's personal feelings. I don't know. But part of what the administration was doing was holding the Palestinian Authority accountable mm -hmm. and saying, like in the case of Taylor Force, if you're going to incentivize terrorism against Israelis, against civilians, and of course, he wasn't even Israelis, an American, you know, visiting in Israel. And we know the terrorists are indiscriminate when they do bombing, stabbings. Right. They don't really care. They just want to make sure they're killing who they believe is an Israeli, right? This is something that has to be taken seriously. For me, in answer to your question, Rabbi, when I see something like that as a policy, not even as a person's personality, I point to that and I say, we, meaning Americans, are helping to incentivize the terrorism against Israelis, especially when there's a law on the books that says we cannot do this if we know that these funds are mm -hmm. gonna be used for this purpose. Mm -hmm. That's one of the examples of that. I hope I'm answering your question. You are answering my question, it's, it's, it's upsetting. Um, let's go back to your son for a minute. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, your son, who's a very impressive guy, um, not just because he's your son, um, but I interviewed him on, on this podcast. I heard him speak at a 
um, anti-Semitism rally in Washington last summer. Sir. My wife said to me, get him <laughs> because he's really, he's got a tremendous handle on the situation. So he recently wrote an article for your Institute for yes, Black Solidarity with Israel. Mm -hmm. The article was called The Problem with Uppity Blacks. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, maybe sir. you'll tell us who that is. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Anyway, he, ta he talked about the case of Jason Hill. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Jason Hill is this black professor at DePaul University mm -hmm. and who asserted that Israel has the right to annex the Judea. West Bank. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, what, what's going on there? Right. And um, and maybe you can speak to a little about the relations between Jews and blacks in terms of all of this, sure. if, if it impinges on that. So uh, Jason Hill, whom I've not met personally, we've emailed each other before, um, as you said, uh, wrote that article for The Hill, I believe, um, making the case that Israel has the right or maybe even should annex Judea and Samaria. It reminds me of Caroline Glick's book, The One State Solution, right? So he's non-Jewish, right? Non-Israeli. But as a professor, he's opining the way anybody else can. In the democracy, we get to discuss this like someone can say from the river to the sea, right? He's actually saying, we don't like that they're saying that. It's a call for genocide, but they get to say what they want to say in a democracy, right? So he says this. He's attacked by other members of the faculty. And some of that attack is racial. Some of, one of them said something about uh, Trump's comment about SHIT whole nations, and apparently he's from the West Indies, and he would have been, so why you would invoke what Trump said, and the fact that he's a black man from either Jamaica or wherever mm -hmm. he's from, Trinidad, that clearly, this is not about Israel now. This is not about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This is you attacking somebody for saying something you don't like and making it about his race, that somehow the uppity black, that term, people don't know that term, that's what they used to call black people some people do, who get out of their place. They are saying things that you don't think that they should say, somehow uh -huh. don't speak to this. So that's issue. referring a little more to conservative-minded black people, uppity blacks? Yeah, it or? can be often conservative, but even if it's somebody, even if it's not, if it's non-political or if it's something that's outside of your sphere. So, so uh, what would normally be expected? Yes, you, you talk about the black issues, right? You talk about, you know, here, you, it, it, same thing, you, you're, you're Jewish. Don't comment on whatever I think that Jewish people shouldn't comment on. You're not just an intellectual person. You're somebody who I put in this Jewish box. box. Of course, that's anti-Semitism, right? Because I'm right. telling you, right. So the same thing's anti-Black, right. right? So he makes, he wrote this article and they begin to come for him. But not just in terms of that, they have been, it's almost been a, it's been a persecution of this man. They've put out negative things about him. They've told students not to sign up for his classes. They're trying to destroy him. Oh so he actually launched a lawsuit. It started in November. We're trying to follow up with people now and see where it is right now because he's suing DePaul because of the harassment that he's actually experiencing. Again, I, you could claiming the university's behind it. He's claiming, I believe his claim is that they are allowing it to happen. Right. Yes, sir. Right. And this is so it's almost like any other harassment in the workplace. Right. He finally he has all the different documents about what's been said to him, what's been written about him, those types of things. So that's why. So my son wrote that article yeah. about that. And again, even the picture that we chose, he was at a ZOA event. He was speaking. Right. And I want to make this very clear for everyone. As far as we know, he's not a Zionist, right? I don't even know what his political right. leanings are in terms of where Israel. But he concerned. believes, for whatever reason, that politically yes. Israel has the right yes. to um, to annex other parts of yes. uh, yeah. Judea and Samaria. Rabbi, I wanted to interject here that this is part of the the dangerous the the danger of the discourse where we are right now. Zubi, can't remember his last name. He's an influencer. He lives in the UK and he 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 has a lot of followers on social media. I mentioned him. Some people may know who he is. He weighed into the anti-Semitism, right? He doesn't really speak on Israel-Palestine. He does music, he does fitness. He talks about a lot of different things. He even has some controversial uh, takes on certain things as, as far as some people would be concerned. A uh, couple of months ago after the Kanye blow up and everything, he, I, I watched it. I don't know him personally, but I watched it. He, every once, a couple of times he tweeted condemning the level of anti-Semitism. He said, okay, this is, you know, he's very, very kind of measured in his tone, but like, yeah, no, this is really bad. If you saw the responses to him, people that were otherwise pretty lucid, you would think they're kind of, they lost their minds. How dare you? It was all, he was in a very measured way saying, hey, these generic statements about Jews, you know, we, I'm paraphrasing, right? This is, this is uncalled for. 
good. Well, you need to understand they, the Jews and the Jews, right? These otherwise, he lost followers. He said, he said, you know what? I'm willing to lose followers on this issue. Again, wow. not a Zionist, not a wow. Israel advocate. Yeah, but he's got integrity and yes. he believes in certain things. He, he stood up for what he felt was right and got humbled. I mean, he's fine, right? He's going to be fine, but it was just an example to me, right? The, the, the way some people came for him. So let me ask you a question because you, you like, you have quoted Dr. King very beautifully in, in our conversations and um, Martin Luther King Day is approaching. Um, the year before his death, I'm told that Dr. King was planning a massive Holy Land tour yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, to lead hundreds of black clergy and lay people to Israel and Jordan. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, they were canceled. Uh, those right. plans were canceled, I, I believe, right. in the aftermath of the Six-Day War in mm -hmm. 1967. Yes, sir. Um, can you give a little more insight into Dr. King's relationship with the Jewish people uh, and with the state of Israel? So in my book, not a shameless book plug, Zionism in the Black Church, right? You can go to ibsi.org. You can get the book there. Um, I Zionism talk, and the Black Church. Yes, sir. Just That's letting everybody know. Yes, sir. And you can go to our website, ibsi.org. You can get dates on Amazon and then it's also an audio book version. IBSI.org. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. I talk about it in detail. As a matter of fact, I even have a picture of the letters between him and Ben-Gurion. Right? Ben-Gurion at this point is the former prime minister, but he's still very much involved yeah. in everything. And I believe uh, Eshkol is the prime Lady minister. Lady Eshkol was the prime minister. Yes, sir. So time. he's actually writing back and forth. There's no emails back in that day, right? But we have the actual letters, letters right? Yeah. Stamped and everything, going from Tel Aviv to you know Atlanta and everything like that's amazing. Even those letters, you can feel the warmth, right? Ben-Gurion says, hey, so excited to know. Ben-Gurion uses the term, the mass pilgrimage of the American Negro to the Holy Lands of Israel and Jordan. He usually uses, he uses that term because he's saying how excited he is. And Dr. King writes back to him, yeah, we've been traveling the country. We're, he, he's using it both as a promotion for goodwill and everything like that. And they're also doing it as a fundraiser, right? With us. Southern Christian Leadership Conference. They said, here's a way we can continue to further these relationships with Israel and the Jewish people, as well as, you know, raise funds for our organization and everything. Mm -hmm. And so he's doing, I tell people before the popular thing of Christians traveling to the Holy Lands, Dr. King was getting ready to cut, kick it off in 1967. Right? Wow. It's not amazing. I worked for seven years for Christians United for Israel, leading pastors to Israel. And every time I had a group of black pastors, it was never lost on me that he died before he could do what I was before actually doing, right? Wow. It just, so I, it, but it he was show. planning it already. He was said. planning it, right? It was huge. He was planning it for November, 1967. We even have the dates, the African said it, right? Of course, these letters that I'm referring to were in the spring, January, February is when Ben-Gurion and Dr. King are writing to each other. Of course, what happens in June, the war. Of course, Israel wins the war. It's very controversial because now, even to this day, we talk about the 1967 lines, right? Israel's being de denounced as a settler colonial, the whole thing, right? There's pressure on Dr. King to weigh in. The, all of these things are happening in real time. So, of course, the trip gets pulled back. There are anti-Israel people who tried to use that, and I, I don't refer to this in my book, but another article. They try to point to the fact that he pulled back on the trip as some sort of denunciation of Israel. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. He was concerned about the controversy. He was concerned about what was actually going on, but it wasn't a matter of him condemning Israel. I, was I, he concerned for safety? I don't know that it was safety. I think that what was happening is that in the fog of war, I, I, one of the things I remind people of is that because we read, I refer to other documents in there that's actually talk about some of the conversations that he had. There's recordings because the FBI recorded them, <laughs> right? It's, back to the whole security state, but uh, it's police state. But there, he's saying that he makes a statement that I don't want to be perceived as basically, I'm, can I ask them paraphrase? endorsing either the Arab or the Israeli side, not in terms of Israel, in terms of war. He's saying there are things that are happening subtly here. He said that I'm still kind of sorting through. He never condemns Israel. This is like, you'd have to imagine that in 1967, there's no internet, there's no email. So you're getting information. Do we well, have anything that he said about the 67 war? Oh, absolutely. So what's happening, Rabbi, that you asked that question, he the the most prolific pro-israel statements that dr king makes are after the war of 67 yes and one of the reasons why he's making those statements is because of how israel is being attacked so the war happens in june of 67 fast forward to 
spring of 68 because in my book i talk about what happens in july of 68 you know you know it's interesting you'll find this interesting as a preacher yes sir, yes, sir. as a religious person yes, sir. um what happened in the jewish community throughout the world yes sir yes sir was that the six day war created a certain jewish pride yes sir I, i'm in the business of what we call jewish outreach mm -hmm. i'm i don't have like a classic you know synagogue congregation right. of right. people who are just sort of you know, already believers who want right. to belong someplace, right. we're really trying to engage the less affiliated. That movement, which is called the, in Hebrew, it's called the Baal Tshuva movement. Mm -hmm. The Baal Tshuva means to return, to return to your roots, your spiritual roots. That, mm -hmm. that Baal Tshuva movement in earnest right. began, if you ask most outreach professionals, with the Six-Day War. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the Six-Day War inspired such pride mm. within jews right, right. because they were you know they were digging trenches right, right. they were digging they were preparing for another holocaust in right, israel right. they were digging um uh trenches in tel aviv for right. burials right. because right. they expected such a you know they were literally there were four hundred and sixty-five thousand troops mm. amassed on all of israel's borders in the right. north and in the south from right. syria and egypt right. and jordan then got involved they had to fight a three right a th a, you know a three-pronged war against yes, three other countries and yes, um yes. and then they had behind them right. dozens of other arab countries right. and the right. united states by the way was not very supportive of israel it was france at the time yes sir yes so sir. people were really nervous and all of a sudden it's like right like a miracle happened right, right. we right. not only defended ourselves but right gained all this territory which we took as a buffer basically right right, right. right. and that right. inspired jews everywhere right to start wearing these mm. like mm. my dad grew up in pennsylvania would never think right in the 1950s right, right. He, of wearing 40s 50s wearing a kippah mm. publicly mm. most jews did not wear a kippah publicly mm. until after mm. the six-day war wow, that's people started feeling right. so i'm just curious of like i'm <clears throat> curious of <clears throat> of dr king's um but you're saying a lot yeah. of dr king's yeah. positive and pro-israel statements came after oh, the yeah. six day war. and for that reason so to your point about the war also as you know um for those listening that israel launched the preemptive preemptive strike against egypt because of the the formidable <laughs> surrounding of israel israel then takes the I, one, one thing i love about that story is that gamal nasser and his leaders were basically toasting each other right before some accounts say getting pretty sloppy drunk because they were so, hey, we got Confident, this. Right. Yeah. And Israel took the advantage of that. So people twisted that and said Israel started the war, right? So all these things are being twisted around. Well, this, I think this, yes, sir. <clears throat> I think this is, in terms of education, I know you're so devoted to educating yes, and clarifying. Yes, it's so important for people to know right. that hundreds of thousands of troops yes. were amassing around Israel unprovoked. Right, right. Exactly. Israel didn't do anything. Right to instigate this right. massive buildup yes, along the north from Syria, Egypt, yes, and Nasser was the most belligerent anti-Semitic Arab leader. Yes, sir. <clears throat> and um, I'll tell you something else people don't know either, which mm. is really interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this. The CIA communicated mm. to the Mossad. Mm. I did not know that. That mm. if right. Israel would shoot the first bullet, right. that America could not stand behind Israel. Wow. Well, well. Knowing full well that all Israel had right, right. was the element of surprise. Exactly. Because they didn't have the armaments, they didn't have the numbers, and, and, they, and Israel had to choose between yes, going at this alone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or having the United States, but then having to wait to be attacked. Rabbi, don't get me started on the DOJ <laughs> and then the State Department. Because they, they, no, no, and I, I, that's amazing that you just said that. And it's just what the reason I'm smirking is because this is the same FBI and DOJ that was actually surveying Dr. King and harassing him. But that's another conversation for another day, right? So to mm -hmm. your point, and those who are listening to this, you put this all together. When Dr. King said, and I quote, I see Israel, and never mind saying it, as one of the great outposts of democracy in the world and a marvelous example of what can be done, how a desert land almost can be transformed into an oasis of brotherhood and democracy. Peace for Israel means security, and that security must be a reality. We'll stop. He says this on March 25th, 1968. Why is he being so vocal? Why is it, even when he said that Israel has and the what, right... What, what impact? I'm just curious. Yes, sir. What, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, no, no. but the, uh, that quote is just so powerful. Yeah. 
What kind of impact did that have internally within the black community? Well, what he was doing, and he says this himself, I write about this in my book, and I actually quote for those, whether you read the book or quote the other source material, the rabbinicalassembly.org. This was at an event. He, he was the honored guest at the, at the um, 68th annual rabbinical assembly. Uh, of course, Joshua Heschel was there, the rabbis. So he's actually right. the keynote speaker, right? So and this rabbinical is, assembly is the association of conservative rabbis. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. So he's there speaking. And the, the subject wasn't, we have that. So you can go on rabbinicalassembly.org, ladies and gentlemen, type in Dr. King. Boom. It's a 13 page document. We have everything that they, at least in that transcript, we have everything to talk about. And it wasn't just about the Israeli Arab conflict, but that was a large part of it. So in answer to your question, he was only reiterating what he said himself was the opinion of the vast majority of the civil rights community. So though he was the mouthpiece, if you will, he wasn't speaking out of turn, the vast majority of the both civil rights community. It wasn't considered a controversial statement. No, it was considered controversial only in that now you're having this, okay, history lesson, everyone. This is 1968, right? The PLO is born in 1964. Right. Who takes over in 69? Yasser Arafat. What's the first thing that he does? He goes to the Black Panthers, Tangela Davis. Why is he selling this thing to black, young black civil rights leaders? He's trying to sell his From the River to the Sea as a justice issue. Marginal then, what we just talked about before in the whole the leftist thing, no longer marginal. It's now being taught in schools, right? What was he saying? Israel is, he wasn't using the word apartheid at that right, point. Right, but the same yeah, idea. Yeah, it's settler, colonial, Zionist, yeah. or imperialist, and that rhetoric, especially after the 67 war, what you're describing as the Jewish pride that ensued after that war, what Israel's enemies did was use it as proof that Israel colonizers imperialists, none of those things and are he true. He starts getting the world to see the Palestinians as an oppressed black people, if he, you will. He was nothing if not relentless. And again, for those who don't know, the KGB is actually who birthed the PLO. We have all these documents as well. It was born as a disinformation campaign. This does not mean that the Palestinians are the people, for those who might get upset. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this was formed. Yeah, we, we, know the, this. we know the Soviets were funding the Arab League. Absolutely. And so, many people aren't aware of that, Rabbi. They don't understand the Soviet connection to what was actually going on here for their own purposes, right? right. And Yasser Arafat becomes one of their puppets. And what does he do? He goes straight to the black community. Why? Because, the, especially in terms of Black America, that group represents from slavery to freedom, justice. Of course, so, there's so a relationship. Let me, so let me ask you just a moment. Sure, sure. Besides you, yes, sir. who is the Black leader today that can bring this message, Dr. King's message back, that Israel is the, um, that the you know, African-American or Black plight in right. the United States and Israel right. are aligned, not the Palestinian group. Right. So... There's no single leader. I have that almost exact same question. Not that you're not enough. Uh, <laughs> not enough. So, but but I what I can tell you is that similar to when Dr. King said what he said, it still is the majority view in Black America, in terms of not being anti-Israel. There there is a larger group that's pro-Palestinian. Yes. But is it the majority from what we've seen in terms of stats? And No, it's not. It's right? not. Even though Black Lives Matter got co-opted. Right, which I write an article about that. For those who talked about the, our, our substack, ibsi.substack.com, you can read about that. I talk about, I unpack Black Lives Matter. It's actually entitled, What the Pro-Israel Community Got Wrong About Black Lives Matter. Right, And to that point, without belaboring it, their focus was never the black community. That was not their goal. Not when it came to the Israel part. They were using the black community to sell the anti-Israel thing. They couldn't care less about... And who's they? They, meaning Black Lives Matter. Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter anti-Israel shtick had nothing to do with whether or not black people believed them. If that was what right. happened... They just got it in there. Yes. What they did was... It, I tell people... And then I guess most black people just didn't... You know, it was... It's not the... It's not the main thrust of Black Lives Matter. The main thrust of Black Lives Matter was black right. people in America. Exactly. That's the subtlety, Rabbi. And that's also the heinous part of it as well. If you're going to stand on the dead bodies of people like Mike Brown or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor and talk about justice, fine. But if you're going to bring in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not only is that dishonest, you are bastardizing. These people are dead. Who are you to make this a political statement about a... A conflict 8,000 miles away. Are you kidding me? This is how they exploited it. But they weren't doing it so the black community would see that. They would do it so that other people 
would join the movement. Right. Unaware of what was actually going on. So we talk about the critical ethnic studies, those curriculum. And they didn't care so much that they would lose Jews. Well, uh, I mean, that's a loaded, well, no, 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 loaded question because there are many Jewish and non-Jewish, but to your question, to your answer, to this day, there are still Jewish Jews, people right. who will die a, on that hill. Right. And they turn a blind eye to the Palestinians. There you go. Right. And it goes back to, I'm talking about the leftist part of it, right? right? That even here, I'm showing you what they said. Here's the leader of Black Lives Matter calling for the destruction of Israel, but somehow that's okay because Black Lives Matter. Are you kidding me, right? That is the dogged pursuit of, I'm going to talk about Jewish, Jewish or non-Jewish, right? I'm showing you how this organization is exploiting this real issue to demonize these people. The fact that you don't care, I can't, I have to leave you and go talk to somebody else who's still going to engage with me intellectually yeah. because that becomes the danger of it, Rabbi. And it's still, for those who think it's, some people, they'll say, no, Black Lives Matter is no longer a thing. According to a recent article in Tablet Magazine, Black Lives Matter to this day has corporate dollars that have been, um, what, what do you know when you give, what you, you dedicate it to it, you, you, you make a commitment that you're going to give $43.9 billion in pledges. Right. So don't tell me that it's no longer a major player. Not with that kind of money just sitting there. Right. Forty three point nine billion dollars. It's in an article. And I hate to say how much was raised. Of that? I don't know. I don't. I do know that as of about when I wrote my last article a few months ago, they had about 50 million dollars cash on hand. Right. I know some of the leaders um, were yes. able to buy a couple of new homes and all homes that. and all those types of things. So let, let me I'm going to just. Just one last detour, if you don't mind, <laughs> sure, just because sure, sure, I no got problem. you here. Yes, sir. And this is exciting for me. Um, uh, you know, maybe you can alleviate this concern. Um, we're, we're getting these quotes from, the, I wouldn't consider them legit black leaders, you know, okay. from the, we talked about the black Israelites yes, last time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But they, they, um, they cite this verse from the book of Revelations, from the New Testament, yes, sir. as evidence that Jews today are not real Jews. Yes, sir. And instead we somehow worship the Satan. Yes, sir. The verse is, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, mm -hmm. which says they are Jews and are not, yes, sir. but do lie. Yes, sir. Yes, so sir. What, what do you think that verse means? How are they interpreting that verse? So as a Christian pastor who does a lot of Israel work, I've taught him this verse before in our churches and, 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 and other areas. So I can tell you this couple things. There's controversy in the language, right? He, John is the, the apostle John is the person who's writing. Really the original language, he's probably writing in Greek because he's writing to non-Jewish leaders of the, it's called the seven churches of Asia Minor, right? Mm -hmm. So more than likely it's probably in Greek. And the reason I'm saying that is because there's been a dispute over years about, did he use the word for church or synagogue? That's one of the things, oh. right? Was that even the word that he used? I, I can't say definitively, but I can tell you that's one of the controversies. That's one of the things. But the other thing so that- Some people don't necessarily believe the word is synagogue. Right, in the verse, church, church of Satan. Yes. Uh -huh. Now, here's the other thing in terms of the Jews part of it. What we understand in terms of what was happening, again, this is a little Christian theology and history. The, of course, the original followers of Jesus were Jewish Jews, people, right? Yeah. More and more non-Jews come into the faith and all that. That's a whole other conversation, right? By the time John is writing these letters, the majority of the church is non-Jewish, right. right? But many of the leaders are still Jewish. John is absolutely one of those apostles, right? And some of the people who've been actually mentored by them, if you will, right? So there, from what we understand, he's saying in just the plain sense of it, there are these people who are not Jews, literally Gentiles, who are now claiming to be Jews and are doing some nefarious oh. things, right? So that's a 2000 year ago in that context, right? You fast Refer forward to now. You're saying referring to Christians yes. who were not Jewish by birth. Yes. And that, in other words, and when the verse says that we'll make of them, yes. let's say of the church or the synagogue of yes. Satan, yes. which they say are Jews and are not, but yes. lie. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. They so are he's being critical that the church is allowing in non-Jews into Christianity? Oh, absolutely. So what's happening is that not, not so much as non-Jews, what, what, part of what's going on in the theme of those seven churches that John is writing, one of the most consistent themes, Rabbi, this is what we understand in terms of the history, is that the apostles who were all Jewish men are concerned about all the non-Jews coming in. Not just non-Jews, but the what they would consider to be idolatry. 
paganism, uh, pagan. Roman, right? So one of the things, for example, one of his letters to the church of Smyrna, and one of the things we understand in terms of church history is that the Romans were trying to get them to stop observing Sabbath because the early church, again, it was a Jewish organization, if you could say it that way, right? But what happens as non-Jews are coming in, they're bringing in non-Jewish practices. He's addressing these people who are calling themselves Jews. Maybe they're setting up, maybe they have Torah schools. Maybe they're calling themselves Jews, are Gentiles, and they're doing these things in the name of being Jews. He literally means that. When he says synagogue of Satan, meaning, or church of Satan, they're doing evil things in the name of being Jews and they're not even Jews. He's literally and addressing John that. is, um, excuse my yes, ignorance, sir. John is Jewish? He is Jewish. He's actually from a rabbi. He's from a, a priestly, from the family. Kohen family. Absolutely. Yes, sir. He's the youngest of the disciples, that whole thing, for those in terms of Christian history. So that when black Hebrew Israelites read that article that use that, uh, that verse, they're actually referring more to themselves than they are to what they think are the fake Jews. In other words, if they're co-opting an identity, especially calling themselves real and Rabbi Wilds is fake, and then they're quoting that, big, the, the irony is that John was more talking about them than Rabbi Wilds. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, that's, that's the irony. But again, when you, it, it's like- But, 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 but yes, sir. Ha, so from their reading of this verse- Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The, you know, these- all these white people calling themselves Jews. Yes, they, they make it racialized. Isn't that, so now I get to imply race in it. I get to apply, I get to take this text that was written 2000 years ago and make it be whatever I want it to be. But how would they rationally support that? How would they? Well, they're saying that the original and real Jews are black. They're from the Afro-Asiatic right. part of the world. Therefore, someone who has lighter skin and straight hair cannot be. Right. That's... So that's not from this verse. That's no. something they have a belief in. They read that into that But they that read verse. this into that. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. That's... I hope that makes sense. It does. That. I yes. mean, it makes no sense. But yeah, you right. Might... <laughs> it makes no sense that it makes it. That... Um, and that's how they use it. And they've been using that verse for years. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. All right, one last question yes, for sir. you. How, um, as a black leader, what do you think the way forward is in terms of, A, having closer relations, Jews and blacks, in America, just on the ground? How can we get our, how, how, how can we get our stuff together with each other and go back to the way things were, let's mm. say, during the civil rights movement? Mm. Um, and um, what do you think should be done? I, I see education. You're doing a lot of podcasting. You're writing. Mm. What should, you know, my audience is primarily Jewish. What should my audience be doing, um, young Jewish professionals and the like, to um, expose the anti-Semitism coming from the left now, um, to call it out, to, to combat it? Right. Um, so what can be done to bring our communities closer? Right. right. And what could be done to, to uh, I guess, publicize more and shine a light on the anti-Semitism, not from the right, because right. we've talked about how I'm, at least I'm not as concerned about, yeah. I'm concerned about it, but I'm not right. as concerned that it's not being called out right. as, as the left. Right. Yes, sir. So to answer your first question, Robert, you probably, I know you know this, we, we can never go back to the way it was, because obviously things are different now. Right. However, what we emphasize in our organization, Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, is that that synergy is still there. I have the privilege of traveling the country and seeing rabbis work with black pastors and black and Jewish communities all over the country. And of course the media is never gonna report on it. They're not gonna talk about good things. Obama said, if it bleeds, it leads, right? They, they want something bad, they want something, <laughs> that's unfortunately it's true, if right? It bleeds, it leads. Yes, sir. Okay. yes sir. But if I say, who's gonna report on, oh, this rabbi and this black pastor got together and they did this thing on the neighborhood, no, they don't even care about that, right? They wanna hear about something bad that actually happened. So it actually is continuing to happen. So the first thing I would say is that for those Jewish leaders, and for those black American leaders, continue to do that. Continue to come together, continue to, and even have difficult conversations, right? Continue to do what you're doing. If you, if it's been a while, if you as a pastor have reached out to your rabbi friend or vice versa, do that, right? This is a, now is a time to kind of reaffirm those things, not allowing social media what's going on to dictate what we're doing. That's what I would say, that synergy is there. And I'll just say in context, whether you're talking about the early 1900s with Booker T. Washington and Julius Rosenwald, whether you're talking about in the 50s and the 60s, Dr. King, Joshua Heschel, how do our people keep finding each other, right? Why does that, mm -hmm. that doesn't on its own, it's organic, right? Nobody contrived this thing, right? And that continues to be the case. So I would say to that first part, continue to do it. And if, if those rabbis, if you're not sure how to uh, talk to others, contact us, maybe we can connect you with some of the black leaders in your area, right? And it's not usually the case. And, and what would you do about, there is definitely, and I'm nervous about this, sure, sure. 
there is definitely some, um, I mean, there, I don't want to call it hatred, mm -hmm. but there's definitely negative and ill will from some black Americans towards Jews mm -hmm. seems to be somewhat socioeconomic. It seems that way. Or, as, yeah, you know, yeah. there are a lot of uh, Jewish landlords of buildings in um, in Harlem and yes. in other areas, and maybe yes. they're not thrilled with the way the buildings are being kept up. Right, right, right. And, right. Um, and there's, you know, there's statements made, uh, uh, you know, what, what would you do about that? I mean, just in terms of getting us a little more. Well, Rabbi, along the same line. So, again, shameless book plug. I addressed that as well because Dr. King addressed it. The landlord thing, the whole thing. And he did it in context, right? And it's, I, I don't, I don't want to take the time to break it all down, but it's amazing, fascinating conversation that they actually have about that. Why that's the case and why they're, they're so, this large percentage of Jewish landlords in black neighborhoods and that kind of, there's reasons why, historic reasons why. They have nothing to do with Manipulation or anything like that has, for example, has everything to do with when migration was happening with black people. From yeah, the South. Jews. Uh, Harlem was a very Jewish area. Yes, right. And Jewish landlords would rent to black tenants, right. where many of the white ones would not. Or Jews were often willing to live in close proximity, right. where there would be white flight. So what's ironic is that right. because of that close proximity, there's sometimes going to be some. No, clashes. and that's why we still have that in Brooklyn. Today, Absolutely, and we have it in Williamsburg, and and the vast majority of those interactions are positive. Unfortunately, the vast majority are positive, but unfortunately, the negative, it's yeah. kind of like, it's so, but, but we're seeing now with this rise, this rhetoric and everything. Yes, it's absolutely real. We have been an organization. I'll go back to your question. Since the earlier 2011 or so, when these attacks on the Haredi community in places in New York have been going on for a while, the media would ignore it. Only other Orthodox or like maybe the Yeshiva World News or the, me the media would even report on it, right? Ah, the New York Post, New York Times, yeah, whatever, right? But we, we were calling, we we're going to, this is very, very dangerous, right? Because you're having not just obviously these people, their lives are in danger, right? But the normalcy of attacking these people, almost like a no-go zone, right? So what is going on? And the fact that the, the lawmakers, politicians, left and right side out, who's, it's like it's not happening. But here's the thing, if it were white supremacists attacking black people, It'd be all over, and the first people protesting with us would be our Jewish brothers and sisters. But somehow, because these are very observant right. Orthodox Jews, yeah. somehow, boom. But we're looking at right now. Fast forward to now, people are talking about it now. One of these organizations is saying, they said, yes, you should be cut, and we applaud that. The problem is that this didn't start with Kanye. This has been going on for a while, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but people have been ignoring no, I was it. nervous now that we're going to see a repeat of what happened in the 90s. Right. So, And this is why we do what we do, Rabbi, because what will keep that from happening is if these conversations are being had with these Jewish and black leaders together, coming together. And that is happening. It needs to happen more. It needs to happen more. So to your last point, Rabbi, I would say, because you asked a question I really wanted to answer, because you also said, um, what can, what can we do? Something else. You, oh, just I, the, the, the other thing about exposing the left wing. Right. Okay. Semitism against there Israel. just has to be the courage. What, what happened, this is, this is really, there's no magic formula for this, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you are a conservative, whether you're a liberal, whether you, whatever you consider yourself to be, maybe you don't have a political home, whatever. It really is about um, a sort of moral courage, right? You have to be willing to call out something that's happening, right? So if you are a liberal, if you are considering yourself progressive, whatever, you're on the left side of the aisle and you see it in your camp, quote unquote, call it out. Do it with the same vehemence that you would when you saw it in the other camp, that really is. The problem is that that's easier said than done because right. once I do it, because of tribalism, right. political tribalism, political tribalism. how dare you, you right. can't, blah, 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 blah. It's like just going, cross the line. Right, absolutely. By the way, that's what I was so impressed with about the rally where your son spoke. Mm -hmm. uh, Alicia Wiesel was the one who organized this oh, right, rally. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's Ellie Wiesel's son, who yes, I know well. Yes, and he asked if I would come and bring a group from MG, which we did. Mm -hmm. And I heard your son speak there. And what I was so impressed about that rally was that most of the speakers at the rally, right. Jewish speakers, mm -hmm. and some non-Jewish speakers were more on the left. Yes, yes, which doesn't always happen. Because right. when you do a rally against anti-Semitism, yes, anti-Semitism, right. it's usually right. the right of center right. know, yes, or yes, unabashedly sir. Jewish. But yes, here sir. you had... Yes, sir. You had, you know, leaders in the gay community, you had mm -hmm. leaders in the black community, you had leaders in all these other groups that are not always affiliated with yes, fighting anti-Semitism. Right, right, right. It was actually quite impressive. Yes, sir.
Yes, sir. It wasn't as well attended as I would have liked. There were no, about yeah. 3,500, 4,000 people there, okay. which is not great, but it was also bad. It was in the summer. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, again, your son was the best speaker. I'm not just saying that. Um, but uh, I, I would love to see more and more of that. I, I think that, and to response to your question again, it has to be the willingness to call something out regardless to what it actually is. Right. Right. I, I, um, you know, I, I listened to Bill Maher. I don't know if you ever listened oh, yeah, to that guy. So one of the reasons, you know, I think he's very popular right, right, right. is because he's a self-professed right. liberal. Yes, sir. Progressive. Yes, sir. Right. But he calls out the wokeism. Yes, sir. And he calls out hypocrisy and yes, inconsistency. Yes, and yes, he's willing to cross that line very quickly. Right. Right. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's, you know, those are the people in my mind. I'm not saying I love everything he says and mm -hmm. does, but yeah. he has credibility. Absolutely. And he represents someone who who does it effectively, has a large platform, obviously, but he does it kind of like Dammy the Torpedoes. Right. He's a now now he's more of a veteran. Right. He's been around right. for a little while. Right. right. <clears throat> and I don't know him. Never met him before. I've, well, I've seen him. He's probably I would imagine he's thinking, yeah, I've. I'm I'm where I am now. Yeah, I, have I can status. do whatever I want. I can, say what I want to say. Right? I have tenure. Right? right? I can. Right? You you right. can't fire me. Right? You can't cancel me in that sense. And I do appreciate the fact that he will. He'll take on. And he'll say, yeah. "This is this." He is brings me. him on the show. Yes, sir. He'll bring a Ben Shapiro and yes, Jordan Peterson on yes, the show. And yes, sir. he doesn't care. And that's what makes. I mean, that's that right. was always the beauty of America. Right. Exactly. That and in, in that sense, Bill Mars is more reflecting more of an old school. Right. Let's have a yeah. panel discussion and different views. Right. And not just yeah. simply yes, sir. Put the same opinion around the table. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Sure, Thank you for coming in here. No problem. Thank you. Uh, you uh, you're making what we call in Hebrew a kiddush Hashem, right. which is a sanctification of God's name in the world because you speak truth yes, and you're not afraid to say it and and just being honest and from the heart. I really, God should bless you to continue your amazing, amazing work. Yes, and I think this is really important. Yeah. You know, we were talking about before how important it is just to get black and Jewish leaders together. Right. Right. So I consider the hour, hour and a half we just spent with each other yes, uh, a very important mitzvah to do yes, because we're we're furthering that. Right. And we should go from strength to strength. You should go from strength to strength. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rabbi. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Talk to you again. Pleasure. See you.